with us. We are in the book of Nehemiah, and actually we are we're at the middle point right now. We are in chapter 7, and chapter 7 in Nehemiah is a turning point. Um, what happens is, up until this, this part of Nehemiah, the focus has been the walls. And they have incre- and we talked about last week, they have, uh, they have accomplished this massive project. I mean, you know, a wall two to two and a half miles long, eight to 12 feet wide, 40 feet on average height. It's a massive undertaking for a bunch of people. And um, they got it done. And we've talked about all along how they've had to deal with all of this stuff with attacks and, and, and how they've handled it all. And in chapter 7, we now make a shift. And it's interesting because the first part of Nehemiah chapter 1 through 6 are talking about the building of the wall. So it's all the physical work. The rest of the book... After chapter 7, we're going to make the transition this week and next week, is about the internal life of those people. In other words, now the focus becomes the spiritual growth and the spiritual walk of the children of Israel and how they go forward from there and what all God deals with with the, with the children of Israel um, through Nehemiah. And so that's where we're headed down the line. Um, this morning we're at chapter 7, and, and chapter 7 happens to be the longest chapter in the book of Nehemiah. And when you, if you take the time to read it this week, you're going to go, how in the world are you going to, I'm not going to read all of the verses of chapter 7, because there's just a lot of names, and uh, all it'll be is a, you know, oh, let's see if the pastor can pronounce that one. Um, uh, so we're not going to do that, but uh, we, we are going to kind of sum up, we're going to pick out different names next week, and different situations and talk about some things. But um, this week, I want to focus on the first three verses because it really sets the tone, I think, for what's going to happen in the life of the children of Israel after this. And I think there's a lot of of principles there that we can apply as we head into this week for us. So here's Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. Here it is. It says, Then it was when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors and the gatekeepers and and the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. So it seemed like, you know, okay, it's just kind of a straightforward thing. But I want to stop here because I want us to understand what he's saying. Oh, nope. Go back, guys. That's my next one. Oop, yep, go back one. Yeah, I want to camp here for a minute. <clears throat> what he says, then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors. Now, this was a, this was a defining point in this project. Because you see, up until this point, um, even though the wall was built, people could come in and out. You know, it's kind of like when we were building this building. I don't know if you remember. But we were having to haul tools back and forth until we got the doors on and we could lock the doors so nobody could come into the building. So it was a point at which, from this point on, the building was fairly safe. The walls were fairly safe. So until the wall, until the doors get hung, really Jerusalem is not safe. Once the doors are hung, now we can lock them up at night. Now we can keep the bad people out and keep the good people in. And that was kind of the idea. <clears throat> so this becomes a, a turning point when they get to that point in the project. It's kind of like right now, you know. Um, we'll get more finished with this project when we hang the doors back there. You know, everybody's like, when are you going to hang the doors? When are you going to hang the doors? When are you going to hang the doors? Just be patient, all right? Uh, we'll get the doors hung. Um, you're like, when are you going to hang something on the front wall? Be patient. We got an idea, all right? We got a plan. Um, but when the, when the doors get hung, now all of a sudden, 
Jerusalem is somewhat secure, so now they can start going about the business of being a city. But notice what he does next. He says, when the gatekeeper... Oh, no, no, go back, guys. Yeah, you got to stay there for a while. I'll tell you when to jump. Um, it says, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites have been appointed. So now he sets up these groups, and he says, okay, now that we've got the doors hung, the first group that he sets up are singers, okay? Now you go, I know musicians, you're going, yay, see how important we are, we're first. Um, it, because that was, singers were associated with what? Anybody want to guess? Huh? The what? Worship. Yeah, they were associated with the temple. And by the way, who else is associated with the temple? The Levites. Exactly right. So what does Nehemiah do? The second the city becomes secure, what becomes the first focus for Nehemiah? Worship. You get that? In other words, okay, guys, now that this city's secure, let's, let's focus on what's really important now. And the first thing he establishes is what? Worship. That tells us a lot. Because, you see, I think that's the thing that, that we have to be very careful of in our world is that worship often in our world does not become the first thing, but it becomes the thing we tack on at the end. When Nehemiah gets the city established, the first thing that he sets up is, okay, guys, now it's time to worship. And you're going to see this, by the way, when we get into chapters 8 and 9 and on. You're going to see how big a deal this is. And, um, uh, but it, it becomes very, very important. Worship becomes, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, now, let's go on to the next verses. Here we go. Would you guys trade off? Did, uh, uh, yeah. uh, all right. And then he says, and that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hannah, Hannah, Hannah and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot while they stand guard. Let them be shut. Let them shut them and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one in his watch station and another in front of his own house. Um, what he does now is he sets it up and he says, okay, now here's what we're going to do. He's going to now appoint leaders to help lead the children of Israel, to help manage all of this thing, to manage the gates, to manage the, the people, to set up leadership thing. And here's what I want you to notice. What, what are the key qualities for leadership that he mentions here? How did he pick leaders? Yeah, they were faithful and they feared God. He said, okay, here's how I'm going to pick the guys who are going to help lead this thing. You're going to be faithful, and you're going to fear God. There's no qualities here that says, you know, okay, they were, they were you know, they, you know they, had, they, they had an education, they had this, they had that. They had, they're faithful people who fear God. Um, in fact, one of these guys is probably the guy who in Nehemiah chapter 1 actually was, went and talked to Nehemiah at the beginning and told him about Jerusalem. Um, we've run into these guys before. We've seen them consistently be part of this project. And he says, but notice what he says. He says, they're faithful men who fear God. There's a lesson there. We'll talk about it in a second. And then he asked them to do something pretty bizarre. 
He asked them, he says, don't let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. That may not seem like a big deal to you and I, but you need to understand, no other city did it that way. See, the way it worked in those days was you had, you had the walls around your city, and at night you shut them so the bad guys couldn't get in. And in the morning when the sun came up, you opened them so everybody could go out. But Nehemiah says, we're going to do a little different. We're going to stay, and we're not going to open the gates until the sun is hot. And we'll talk about why that's important in a minute. Okay, So that's the passage. Let me pull a couple of things out that I think will help us. You go, how in the world are you going to get to us this week? Trust me. Okay, We're going there. Here we go. First thing. One of the things you see in this, right at the beginning, once the walls get established, is Nehemiah sets out right off the bat the significance and the importance of worship. I think in our culture, we underestimate it. I think in our culture, we have made worship this odd thing about, you know, well, you know, it's a worship service if you have, you know, this kind of music and that kind of thing, and this flows to that, to this, to that. Worship is simply acknowledging God's worth. Worship is simply the idea of acknowledging God's part in it. And giving God credit for it. And I think that's something that we don't need to do just on a Sunday. But it's something we need to do all week long. Um, I think Sunday is important, and here's why. Sunday's the first day of the week. It's a great way to start the week. It's a great way for us to step back and go, you know what? God, I want to acknowledge your presence in my week right off the bat. Uh, we want to have a great time. We want to fellowship. We want to laugh. We want to cry. We want to share prayer requests. We want to do all that kind of thing. We also want to stop and say, you know what, God? Thank you. And I want to start this week by focusing on you. <clears throat> I think it's important for us to start every day that way. I think it's important for us to see God in every situation we can see him in all week long. You know, I love it when I see Facebook posts about people who go, you know, and I don't, it makes me a little nervous, you know. This is, my, this is my view on the drive to work today, you know, and there's some beautiful sunrise. You know, well, you know, I don't want to do the whole phone and taking pictures while you drive thing, but um, I get it, you know. I get it. It's the idea of acknowledging the fact that God, God's the one who created that sunrise and that sunset. I think it's important for us to see God in nature and creation. I think it's important for us... <clears throat> as human beings to see God in our lives. And, and worship is acknowledging God's presence. <clears throat> Some of you struggle with you're always um, negative or critical. Um, you're always upset at what you don't have. C- can I suggest to you that one of the things that might help you is to learn to worship? is instead of focusing on what you don't have, to learn to appreciate what you do have. To learn to appreciate how blessed you and I really are. How incredible God has been to us. You know, say what you want. We have the best health care system in all the world. Oh, but you know how long it takes me to get it. Time out. Trust me. Trust me. You don't want to be in some other countries with their health care system. You know, you know how much I pay in taxes? 
trust me. Trust me. Well, you know how hard my job is? I know people that would do anything to trade places with you. When you start to acknowledge how good God has been in your life, and you go, well, you know, you don't understand, it's still hard. I'm dealing with this and this and this. I, okay, I'll give that to you. But you could be dealing with this and this and this and this and this. You know? And, and I always tell people, if you really want to play the comparison game, play it fairly. If you want to compare your life to somebody else and go, you know, they have it so much better than me, that's fine. But go to the other end of this spectrum and compare your life to theirs. See, we don't do that. We don't play it fairly. And, and the Bible has something very candidly to say about this. They that compare themselves with themselves, I'm going to give you my paraphrase of it, you're stupid. You know, the Bible says you're not wise, but you're stupid. It's a stupid game to play. And if you're going to play it, at least play it fairly. And, and I just want to challenge you because worship is sitting back and acknowledging God's presence and what God has done and how, how great God has been in my life and giving him the credit for it. You go, well, it could be better. Yeah, and it could be a whole lot worse. That's one of the things that Nehemiah starts off right off the bat. He says, first and foremost, you need to understand this Jerusalem is going to be about worship. Second thing is this. Notice who he chooses to lead. Faithful, feared God. You know, I deal with people all the time who think, you know, well, God can't use me. You know, I'm not as talented as so-and-so, and I can't, I can't do the lay leader thing, and I can't do the piano thing, and I can't do the singing thing, and, and I can't do the Sunday school thing, and, you know, God just can't. Time out. Time out. You know what God wants from you and I? Faithful. Don't quit. Keep plugging away. Oh, yeah, but, you know, you don't... Faithful. Don't quit. Keep plugging away. And when Nehemiah has to choose people to lead, he doesn't go out and hand out leadership evaluation critiques and stuff like that. He goes, I'm looking for faithful guys. You go through the Bible and you look at the people God used. Genesis to Revelation, here's what you'll find. They are people who love God, who were obedient to God, and did what God asked them to do. They are not the most qualified people. There is no way in the world, if you and I came to this earth and said, I want 12 guys to follow me to carry my message for the rest of, the, of, 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 of all of humanity, you would have picked the 12 guys Jesus picked. Every one of them in that culture of that time were basically considered dropouts in the Jewish system. But you know what? God said, I'll use them. And over and over and over again. And, and, and this is the thing that, this is my beef with country people, okay? This is my beef. You underestimate the ability of God to use you. Like, well, I just don't have the talents. You don't get it. I will take country people to the mission field over city-fied people all day long. Because you know why? Because country people have this ability to go, they don't think we can't do it. They just go, we'll figure it out. You know, somebody got duct tape, bailing wire, and a pair of pliers, we'll make it work. So you get on a mission field where resources are very, very limited, 
and people only have a certain amount of things at their disposal? You know, I mean, I, I Gail's sick this morning, but, you know, I'll never forget when we went to Papua New Guinea. You know, Gail was frustrated. I mean, Gail was, because the whole time, we had watched God put the right people in the right place and the right, and, and you, know, you know, we needed to build a septic tank, and, and we ended up making a septic tank out of rocks, coral, banana leaves, and, um, and dirt. Um, you know, and, and had a guy figure all of that out for us and, and, and figure out plumbing. And, uh, you know, I was doing electrical stuff. And we had all of these things. And Gail was like, you know, I just don't feel like, and I don't know why God has me on this trip. I don't know why God, what my talents are. Last day getting ready to go. Boats all loaded up, ready to take it on. The, the bearings were just shot. I mean, there, was, there were no bearings left. I watched Gail... You know, he made a set of bearings. To this day, I don't know how he did it. Out of PVC pipe. He figured out how to put different sections of PVC pipe together to make a bearing to get a loaded boat trailer all the way down the thing into the water. Um, And it's like, okay, now we know what God had you on the trip. It was just a simple willingness to say, I'll go. God, use me if you can. And God said, you know, I got the right person at the right place at the right time. Don't underestimate God's ability to use you. Just be faithful. Plug in where you can plug in. Do what you can. You go, well, you know, I just don't feel like, you know, I can, I can be that person. You don't need to be that person. I got a friend right now who's, who's, who's in the ministry, and, um, you know, I had this discussion with him because pastor is, is looking down the line to leave, and, 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 they're, they've approached him about the idea, would he be interested in it? I had a discussion with him, and he said, he, he, he said, I'm not, he said, I'm not like that guy. I can't do what he did. And they said, time out. They don't need another one of him. You may be the guy God has. Don't shut the door because you don't know how God wants to use you. You be willing and just see what happens. And I think that's so important for us to understand. And some of you are like, well, I can only do this, you know. I can only make cookies. Do you know how important that is here? <laughs> this ministry, this building got built because of cookies, okay? Cookies and coffee. And a bunch of people who said, I don't know, but I'll show up and somebody will find something for me to do. And God used you, and it's awesome. And I just want to encourage you. Find something where you can pitch in, where you can do something, and allow God to use you. And here's what you're going to find. You're going to find it'll be an incredible blessing to you, and you will be blessed far more than you will ever ever put into it. The last thing is this. The last thing is this issue of boundaries. It's interesting, when you look at this story, what Nehemiah asked was kind of ridiculous. Because like I say, think about it for a minute. You've lived outside of the city, and you've kind of done your own thing, and you've been used to running around in the fields out there, and that's where your farming is. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in and says, and, and, and the walls get built, and the gates get put up, and people move into the city. And then Nehemiah sets guys at the, do- at the doors, and then he says, oh, by the way, time out. In the morning when it's cool, you're not going to be able to go out and work in your gardens because we're not going to let you out of the city until it's hot. And it seemed absolutely ridiculous. Why in the world would you do that, Nehemiah? I'm going to tell you what I think. Here's what I think. 
Nehemiah had been threatened over and over and over and over again with the, with the threat of an attack from the outside. In that day, what was common is during the night, an army would move in, sit outside the walls, and in the morning when they opened the gates, the army would come rushing in because half the people were awake and half the people were asleep. And Nehemiah said, we're going to wait till the heat of the day because if they're out there, we'll know it. When all the sun's up and it's hot and everything else, we'll know if they're outside then. When we know they're not outside then, then we can open the gates. We're going to wait and give ourselves some time. We're going to protect ourselves. We're going to set up this boundary. And I imagine the people of that day were like, Nehemiah, you don't understand. Nobody does it this way. Why are we doing it this way? Why can't we be like everybody else? Why can't we be like all the other cities? And Nehemiah said, no, no, this is our boundary. This is how we're going to protect ourselves. We're not going to let the enemy in. We're, not, we're going to set this boundary. And that boundary kind of seemed somewhat extreme. Because, see, Nehemiah was concerned about protecting the people in that city. And he said, so for our situation right now, this is the way we're going to do it. And I want to challenge you with this idea of boundaries. I want to challenge you with this idea of learning to set fences and guidelines and posts and situations to protect yourself. Because I think sometimes we forget this. You know me, let's say that I came to you and I moved into the area from the city and I told you that I believed in free-range animals and because I believed in free-range animals I wanted to raise 25 cattle and 25 hogs and I believe in free-range animals so I've decided that for my farming practices no fences I'm going to open up the door, I'm going to let them roam. At the end of the day, if they want to come in, they can. If they want to stay out, they can. Because I want my animals to be free. And you would say, yeah, yeah. First of all, I'm going to have a problem with my neighbors. Secondly, I'm probably going to lose some animals. You know why? Something's probably going to get hit at some point. You say, well, that would be silly to do because if you really want to care for your animals, you, 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 you know this. You put up fences, and then you spend your entire farming career fixing fences. I mean, you know how that goes, okay? You know, you're continually repairing fences. You go, oh, I think I got this one straight. No, 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 no. No, because you know as well as I do, somebody runs a car through it or drives an ATV over it or cuts it to go hunting on it or whatever else. You know how all that goes. You know, or some animal decides to make its way underneath it or over it or through it or whatever else. You know how all that goes. You put fences up, number one, to keep your animals and your, your livestock safe. And you put fences up, number one, to keep other animals from coming into your property, right? Why don't we do that with our lives? Why do we think that it's okay in our lives to not have fences and boundaries and, 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 and situations and standards that say, you know what, that's off limits to me. We have people in this church that, through whatever, have had a bad experience with alcohol and it has impacted their lives in such a way that, that, that it is destructive to them. And they've had to set up a fence and they've had to set up a barrier that says, for me, no alcohol ever, period, from this point on, boom. They go to organizations and they get around people who encourage them and hold them to that. 
And that is a fence that they have set up. Because they understand this will destroy my life if I don't put this fence up. And to those people, I want them to know, I'm in your corner as a cheerleader going, yes, great. I don't want to see you destroyed with it either. But I have other people who go, you know what, I don't need that fence. I can handle it. And yet, you watch time and time again. You keep battling it. You keep falling. You keep... At what point are you going to come to a realization that you need to put up a really serious fence? I watch people do this with their marriages. And they spend all of their time in their career and they spend all of their time in their job, and they spend all their time pursuing their hobbies that they don't invest in their marriage. And they don't put up fences to say, okay, this is what's important. We're going to protect our marriage, and this is how we're going to protect our marriage. This is how we're going to keep it safe. And before they know it, they're all of a sudden going, I don't understand why, you know, I just don't love them anymore. Let's just split. This thing's not worth it. Because they never protected it from all the things that are trying to destroy it. I watch people do this with money. There are some people, the bottom line is, they can't handle credit. They never learned the skill set to handle credit. And they keep making the same financial decisions and mistakes over and over and over and over and over and over again because they've never set up any fences. They've never set up any boundaries. And what we need to do is, like Nehemiah, we need to come and get people around us who will help us set up those boundaries and help us enforce those boundaries so that we don't make those mistakes that are out there to destroy our lives. I watch people do it with careers. And the bottom line is, if it means more money, if the promotion means more money, they say yes. You've watched it with farmers. You watch farmers. You know how it goes. Oh, I have an opportunity to get more land. Great. Now you get more land. Now what happens? Well, got to have a bigger tractor. Oh, got to have a bigger combine. Got to have a bigger this. Got to have a bigger that. Then you get that stuff, and then what happens? Well, now I got to be able to pay for it. So what I got to do? I got to get more land. Now I got to get a bigger tractor. Now I get a bigger combine. And they just go this spiral, spiral, spiral until the point is, and then you ask them, do you enjoy it anymore? What's the answer? No. No. Because it's just like a, the rabbit or the hamster thing chasing, chasing on the thing. It goes up faster and faster. I watch people do it with careers all the time. And they never sit back and say, okay, how much is enough? What's enough? What's the boundary? What is enough for you? And those are tough questions. But you really have to sit down, and, and, and this is the thing I think I see in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah says some really tough, nobody else around them was doing it this way. And it was extreme, but it was necessary. And my challenge to you is in your Christian life to look at things that are hurting you, or that are hindering you, or that are causing you to stumble and trip up, and step back and go, you know what, maybe I need to find somebody to talk to me to help me establish some boundaries and some fences. and some, some of you, I love you to death, but you know what? You cannot say no to anybody. And you keep saying yes, 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 and you are burned out. You are exhausted. You are not happy. And I sit back and go, you know, it's kind of simple. It's a two-letter word, no. 
but you are so driven by that that you don't know anything else, and so you have no boundaries with your time to be able to tell people, you know what, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. This is important to my life, and this is what I need to do. And you've heard me say it before. If you know what you're saying yes to, it's easier to say no. And, and, and I just want to challenge you because some of you, I think, are really struggling with some of this stuff. You know, and, and for, for me over the years, it's really hard. My wife and I are in two completely different ministries that have two different time demands. And very few times do, does the, the free time ever cross. And when it does, you need to know, we have said yes to our relationship, so we're willing to say no to a lot of other people. And I don't feel bad about it at all. Because I know what I'm saying yes to. And, it, and it's so important that you learn to set these boundaries and these fences. And, and if you've got something right now that's chipping away at your soul, at your life, that is a continual struggle over and over and over and over again, Find somebody who has, who's on the other side of that who can come alongside and help you set the boundaries. You go, well, you know what? My boundary's going to have to be so extreme. Okay, so it is. You know, my wife and I had to set when we were, you know, we, we got into the money thing, you know, ministry. It was tough in the early, early days. And, you know, for, there was a time for probably three or four years we lived off credit cards. And then it took us forever to get out of it. Now we've set some boundaries about money and about credit and about how we do things and why we do things. And then we shared that as our boys were growing up with them and said, okay, guys, here's, here's, here's what we've learned the hard way. Now, you can go learn it the hard way or you can learn from us. But, you know, here, here's what we learned. And I, and I just want to challenge you because I think sometimes we, we pass off this boundary thing as like, you know, well, you know, I just want to be free. Teenagers, will you listen to me for a minute? The difference between you being a teenager and when I was a teenager, and yes, we had color TV when I was a teenager. <clears throat> we had to physically change a channel. I'll show you what one of those looks like in an antique store one day. But um, the difference is the stuff that you're up against right now has a price tag of a lifetime with it. There are a couple of issues that you can actually end up paying a price for it for the rest of your life. And I have watched kids go down those roads. And I will tell you, teenagers, I don't think you can set the fence too high. I really don't. And for some of you who are college age and you're struggling right now because you're trying to find maybe that right person and you have your checklist, <clears throat> and it seems like every time you meet somebody, they don't check one of the boxes. And there's a great tendency on your part to say, I'm going to get rid of that box. Don't. Don't. Don't settle. Don't lower the fence. Don't move the fence. If it's in God's plan for you to be married, he will bring the right person to you. Don't mess with the fence. If you have trusted God and you have set that standard high, don't move it. And I've watched too many kids say, well, you know, I'm just discouraged and I'm, I'm just going to move the fence and move the bar lower and spend a lifetime regretting that. 
And, and, and I want to I, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Because I think sometimes we don't talk about this. But Nehemiah protected these people. Because he set up some pretty tough boundaries. And in the end, you're going to see this plays out well for them. Because the enemy doesn't come through the gate. And the people stay safe. And the people grow spiritually and God uses and God uses them. And God has to do some pretty tough stuff with these people too. So I just want to encourage you. So I end this morning with this. I am with this idea that Nehemiah starts to refocus the people back to worship. He makes the first priority of this new city. He then puts leaders in place who set an example for the people and for us. God wants us to be faithful and love him with our heart. He wants us to realize the need for boundaries to keep us safe and allow us the freedom to grow into the people he desires for us. So let's do it this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, sometimes it's easy <coughs> to neglect our soul. Sometimes it's easy, Lord, to lose focus of worship. Sometimes, Lord, in our desire to be faithful, we just get tired and quit. And Lord, sometimes we forget to establish the boundaries that we need to keep our lives close to you. Lord, help all of us to look at our lives, to change the things that we need to change, to do the things that we need to do. And Lord, when you give us opportunity this week, may we speak and act in such a way that people see Jesus Christ in us. And when it is all said and done and we gather back here again next week, Lord willing, we can look back at the way, Lord, that you used us in little ways and big ways this week, these things we ask in your name. Amen.